While you're likely to be surprised by the many obstacles that can come in the way of trading internationally, you'll be even more intrigued by how inventive and resourceful women and men at the head of these businesses successfully navigate the headwinds. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Kimonique Powell, a young professional here at the WTO, and your host in this Overcoming Obstacles to Trade series. The episode you're about to hear brings you a story of resourcefulness in the face of sudden onset disasters. The business case study for the episode is Nishi Trading Company Limited, a family-owned business in the Kingdom of Tonga, an archipelago or a group of islands in the South Pacific Ocean. Manur Nishi of Nishi Trading Company Limited tells us how exactly he has been able to overcome the mammoth challenge of being hit by several natural disasters as he seeks to integrate his business into the global trading system. Minoru is joined in this episode by Estelina Alipati of the Institute for Training and Technical Cooperation. Estelina is also a Tongan trade official. So let's talk trade. Minuru Esselino, it's a pleasure to have you on the platform. Can you please introduce yourselves for us, starting with you, Minuru? Thank you for the opportunity to share in this discussion. Uh, my name is Minoru Nishi Jr. I'm a second-generation farmer businessman here in Tonga. Um, so I'm the managing director of Nishi Trading uh, Company Limited. Estelina? Hi, thanks for having me with you. My name is Estalina Alibate. I'm a Principal Trade Officer of the Ministry of Trade and Economic Development of the Kingdom of Tonga. Currently, I'm stationed at the World Trade Organization under the Netherlands Training Program. As part of this program, I'm working with the Aid for Trade uh, Unit of the Development Division and also the um, Trade Facilitation Unit of the Market Access Division. Thank you, Estelina. Minuru, I want you to tell us more about the business. So you did mention in the introduction that you are a second generation farmer. So my assumption is that you inherited the business from your father. How was the business at the time that you got it? And how has the business changed today? The business was started by my father back in the early 70s as a subsistent farmer while working for the government, just like any other Tongan farmer, really. And on the side, he saw the opportunity to export some produce to neighboring countries such as New Zealand and Samoa, uh, in particular fish vegetables, and that really helped the family. And that's where the passion really started for me as a young person uh, very early in in, in my lifetime. And I I knew at a very early age that Tonga would be my home and that farming would be my career. Uh, Although I didn't study farming when I went to tertiary education in, in Christchurch in New Zealand, but I did commerce, but I guess it helped uh, to where the business is today. We got to a point where we registered the company as we export squash into into Asian market, to Japan, and then subsequently to to Korea. It's been hard work. A couple of times we've been almost out of business due to unforeseen circumstances, and farming is quite risky, um, especially in an isolated island country such as Tonga, so far away from markets and many challenges. But um, we managed to get out of those holes, and we're still here today. That's a very impressive story, Minur. Actually, uh, farming, I know that a lot of young people are not drawn to it, I guess, because of the labor involved and the fact that we're in a society where I think technology is the future. So not many young people would see farming as an option. And for you to have gone to university and to decide to take on the mantle of doing farming is, first of all, very impressive. I wanted to pick on something that you had said. Your father started out exporting fresh vegetable. You mentioned uh, squash. 
somewhere down the line? Is it that you're only exporting uh, squash today or has it been diversified in terms of your range of products? Squash came uh, back in 1988, but before that, we, we exported a whole range of uh, crops um, to New Zealand, mostly um, from your coconuts, your uh, bananas, your taro, your watermelons, even sugarcane, a whole raft of mixed of, of niche, mixed vegetables, fresh vegetables that we exported. We even air freighted zucchini, uh, tomatoes, uh, capsicums um, you know, back in the day. Uh, and when the squash industry started in 1988, it was a far better option for us because it was quite lucrative. It was a cash crop. It was a three-month crop, and it was going to a high-end market in Japan. So the other crops then faded away very quickly because of the good opportunity in terms of a better return. In terms of today, we, we've had to diversify the business further uh, because of the risks of climatic uh, weather patterns and impacting the production, uh, impacting the supply chains of the formal markets that we've established early on. And so setting up a quarry business, um, a agri store for importation of fresh vegetables, but also inputs for farmers, that really helped the survival of the business to where it is today. So you've talked about survival and you touched on a very important uh, issue, which is the issue of climate change. So I understand that Tonga is a hotspot more or less for climatic conditions. And just very recently, or in, in January 2022, Tonga was hit by a record-breaking uh, volcanic eruption that triggered a tsunami. I want you to tell me about your recollection of this Tonga Haipe volcanic eruption. How did it impact your, your business and, by extension, the crops that you export? It's a day that we'll never forget as a family because it was the day our daughter had her 21st birthday. So we were preparing as a family in the, in the tent outside to welcome close friends and family to celebrate her birthday. And then the explosion it happened. Moving on from that, in terms of our production and our export and the business, it was very difficult because we're also subsequently hit hard with three months of drought. And most of our farmers here who started growing watermelons for our export market during that time was all um, destroyed from the ash that fell. Um, so we had a really a double whammy in terms of an impact on climate change and the effects of the Hunga Tonga Hunga Apai um, eruption. So it's a difficult year, and our exports was down by 62% last year. It's the worst ever uh, in a year. So we're still recovering from that and trying to gain confidence back for our farmers to come back and grow is a difficult thing to achieve with a lot of anxiety and uh, uncertainty in terms of a market. Right now, with El Nino, we're seeing now alert warnings from, from the Ministry of Met Office that we're in the drought, severe drought for Tonga. So uh, a lot of our farmers now are struggling yet again. So climate change is real, and it's, I, I feel it's getting worse every year, and we need to do something about it. All right. So most definitely, I agree with you. And I believe that the climate crisis needs to be addressed urgently. Manure, I heard in your response, not only the impact that this had on the business, but of course, the emotional toll that it took on you and the family. Estelina, you're also from Tonga. Can you tell us how did this volcanic eruption impact you and your family? The eruption of the volcano came without warning. Something which um, you see in, in movies was unfolding right before our eyes. We could see the, the plume from our um, residence. The eruption uh, emitted sonic booms that left a ringing echo in our ears. We were overcome with fear for our safety as we found ourselves scrabbling with uncertainty, 
unsure of the best course of action to take. Unlike tropical cyclones, we are more familiar with defined um, categories, um, come with predictable weather forecasts, and allow us for gradual um, preparations. A volcanic eruption, on the other hand, was entirely different. You do not know what to expect, what to prepare for, and how much time you have. Following the eruption, our means of communication was with the outside world was also severed due to, to the damage of the fiber optic cable. So there was no way of communicating with families and friends out of, outside of Tonga. All of this was happening together in the midst of community transmission of COVID-19, making it, some might call, a perfect storm of challenges. But the day's impact extended beyond um, the safety of our walls. I recall the distant silhouette of my father's family house. And within these walls, my, my sister, a single mother, had nurtured her one-year-old daughter alongside my two brothers and an aunt. The tsunami actually swept away everything in its path, leaving behind a void of where our home uh, once stood. So this day will forever be remembered for the profound impacts it had, not only on our physical surroundings, but also on our emotional well-being and the economic stability of the country. So, Estelina, I am merely a bystander in all of this. I wasn't in Tonga to have experienced the volcano myself, but having listened to you, and of course Minuru, I'm hearing the emotional impact it had on you, your families, and by extension, the people of Tonga. Can you tell us, why are natural disasters such a common occurrence in Tonga? Minuru mentioned a double whammy, the fact that after the volcano came a drought, and even today, Tonga is currently going through a drought. Why is this so common? We are a small island developing state, the smallest Pacific WTO member. Our path to growth and development heavily relies on international trade. Our progress is constantly hindered by a range of challenges tied to our vulnerability to climate change and natural disasters. Tonga's geographical, geological, and social economic situations put it at an elevated risk for various hydrometeorological events. Think tropical cyclones, tsunamis, sea level rise, earthquakes and droughts, you name it. Furthermore, our location along the Pacific Ring of Fire, which is known for its active volcanoes and frequent seismic activities, and our proximity to tectonic plate boundaries make us susceptible to geological hazards. Just to put things into perspective, the World Vulnerability Index of 2021 ranked Tonga as the third most at-risk country to natural hazards. Now let's talk about the economy. We heavily rely on the three main sectors of agriculture, tourism, and fisheries exports, which makes up a significant portion of our GDP. But this dependence also makes us very vulnerable to the impacts of natural disasters. When these disasters strike, they can seriously disrupt our ability to sustainably engage in these economic sectors. This in turn results in both short and long-term social and economic challenges for our economy, as Minoru rightly pointed out. Thank you so much, Estelina. So what this discussion I think is bringing into context for me is the importance of addressing the issue of climate change and of course, trade being part of the solution. So are working on a number of initiatives at the WTO to address climate change uh, uh, using uh, trade. So. I, I wanted to also ask another question to Minuru. 
you spoke about the impacts of natural hazards on the emotion, the impact on the economy, the impact on businesses, but also there is the impact on uh, transportation and logistics. So of course it affects how you move crops from farms to ports and then from ports to international markets. Can you shed some light on this for us? Yeah, look, it's it's becoming an increasing challenge for us in terms of trying to get um, you know, the logistics sorted internally with poor roading systems here in Tonga, but also having vessels to get our produce to market and the equipment. What I mean by equipment, having containers, reefer containers available for the exporters to load cargo. A reefer is a refrigerated container that transports perishable commodities by sea. In, in our case, in last year, we, we had to actually go out and hire three 40-foot reefer containers and purchase a fourth one in order to avail, um, avail our produce to the market. I was left to my own to try and find it and went out and got it. And at the end, we were able to do it, but just in the nick of time. The other exporter here, which is uh, um, the, the government arm, which is Ministry of Trade and Economic Development, they also announced that they weren't able to send their watermelons down to New Zealand because they couldn't find a container. So there needs to be a study of some sort to address some of these issues that we're facing in order to help the livelihoods of our smallholder farmers who we provide a service to. So we need strategic thinkers in the government to support and work hand-in-hand with private sector and, and local businesses in order to address some of these bigger issues. Thank you so much, Minuru. Uh, Esselina, I want you to wear the cap of uh, Tongan trade official. Uh, can you tell us what is the government doing to support businesses in this regard, in terms of transportation and logistics? Minuru did mention having to go to the government for support. So can you shed some light on that for us? In terms of international trade, uh, international trade heavily relies on RNC transportation with about 90% of it happening via sea freight. So this reliance of uh, maritime transport leaves us very vulnerable to transport uh, routes and infrastructure disruptions. So in terms of what the government is um, working towards, is looking at possible ways of um, partnering with uh, shipping agencies to improve logistics and have more firm um, schedules and um, predictability. When the COVID pandemic uh, actually uh, came about, it disrupted this pattern whereby the schedules were actually consistent. The government is looking at um, pursuing this partners with um, the shipping agency in Tonga that connect to see more reliable uh, timetable scheduling for the frequent movement of uh, containers to and fro um, ports in Tonga. Not only that, but they're also looking at uh, improving logistics in terms of connecting to international and regional markets as well. If I may add, the government has actually done quite a lot of work uh, since we've raised this last year, and we're starting this new route to ensure that there's a weekly service from here down to New Zealand and addressing the watermelon um, logistics. They are working together with us. We've been pushing uh, over the last four to five years and talking to Air New Zealand to try and see whether we can get some viable effort rates in order to get the fresh produce down. But not only watermelons, uh, any fresh produce or processed produce, if it's successful, it's going to be a regular service for Tonga, which has you know, never been achieved before. So there are things happening with government. What we need to do is to really deep dive into the, into the logistics issue and find out and take stock of whether we can actually have our own vessel 
and have a setup looking at the imports and the exports. What are the volumes of containers that we bring into the country? Is it viable for us to set up our own service? Because we're at the mercy of these shipping agents that come in or shipping companies come to the region. I wanted to shift gears here and to bring Estelina back into the conversation. Estelina, can you tell us, are there any flexibilities within the WTO system that can help businesses like Nishi Trading recover, respond and build resilience to natural disasters? So member countries have flexibility to implement trade measures in support of disaster response, recovery and building resilience that can be beneficial for farmers and and businesses. The WTO provides the policy space for small vulnerable economies and other developing nations to to utilize specific provisions in, in responding to natural disasters. These provisions can be found in under various uh, WTO agreements. Now, the critical question that arises in the case of small island developing state is whether these measures are indeed useful and relevant. Typically, the objective is in such cases is to receive imports rather than to protect um, export industries. Therefore, while the WTO framework provides the policy space for these measures, their effectiveness and relevance in the context of SIDS and disaster response, recovery and um, resilience require careful consideration and evaluation. SIDS is the abbreviation for small island developing states. So striking the, the right balance between facilitating trade and addressing the unique um, challenges um, posed by disasters is essential for ensuring that farmers, businesses like Minoru, can derive maximum benefits from these measures. Uh, thank you so much, Estelina. Uh, Minoru, I just wanted to check if you want to come in here. You mentioned, I think, earlier in the discussion about having to pivot and to going to other areas of business as a result of climate change. Can you tell us more about how your business is dealing with this issue? We're continuously looking for improvements and ways to diversify the business in order to survive being in a small island nation and representing many of our smallholder farmers. So we want to try and create opportunities for them. But COVID has taught us that we need to look more internally at the country and what we can do um, to reduce importation. So, you know, import substitution, our trade deficit is quite high with other neighbouring countries. We've got to improve the livelihoods of our people. But I think if we look internally to try and create more opportunities for the country and reduce the importation, uh, we have a great future. And we're looking at opportunities whereby we can pr- produce our own livestock feed, but also high-value-added dried products, blanching produce for frozen, and also juicing. Our watermelons here that we export gets wasted here because of the high quality standards imposed by foreign countries such as New Zealand. So we want to capture that waste and provide an additional um, income for our farmers. There's a lot of work being done in that space right now, but we need technical support and capital investment in order to improve some of the work and actually make it to scale. Isolina, do you have a comment on uh, what Minoru just mentioned? I think um, what Minoru has mentioned is rightfully correct. We have to actually look inward to look at our policies, what needs to, uh, to be improved, how we can um, enhance our capacity domestically and use the available resources to actually further enhance or develop our productive capacity. Not only that, but also having to to partner or bring in different uh, development partners, even learning best practices from other members of the WTO or other uh, neighboring countries that we, um, we often partner with or trade with. 
these、uh, fresh perspectives will actually help us in improving our trade. We can also become competitive in what we do because we do have rich,、uh, fertile soil, and also we have our oceans, we have our people. So those are resources that、uh, we need to actually build upon. So I'm hearing looking inward in terms of finding a solution, and of course partnerships with international organizations, like you mentioned, the WTO being part of the solution of working with Tongan officials to address the issue as we move forward. So to close the curtain on the discussion,、uh, Minuru, I wanted to ask you what is the best part about operating a business that is involved in trade, and what would be your advice to other micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises in the agriculture sector who are aspiring exporters of agricultural products? Yeah, good question.、Um, I think if you have the passion, never give up. Sometimes I think I'm I'm the crazy one doing what I'm doing because of the many challenges that we face. But we persevere because we love what we do and we love our country.、Uh, we just need,、um, you know, support in terms of、uh, technical innovation, adopting technology, and and just working a little bit smarter. You know, we're losing a lot of our people through the seasonal worker scheme to Australia and New Zealand, and it's actually having a huge impact in terms of our production here. And it's a multi-sector issue, not just agriculture, but it's everywhere. Even in government, we feel it, and it's a growing issue. We can't stop that, but we need to look at a way, be innovative. To how do we keep our people here? So we need to come up with ideas to how do we make agriculture more attractive to our young people. And we have a high youth population in Tonga, so I think having having a strategic approach to try and address address that issue. Is going to help us. Summarizing the thing, your question here really is: never give up and work hard and get the right partners on the table. And, and what I mean by partners, really, it has to be an equal partnership. Thank you, Minimo. So it's about the passion. It's about partnership. It's about never giving up.、Uh, Estelina, on that note, I wanted to know how has your experience been at the WTO? What do you love most about your job? What I find、um, most fulfilling about working at the WTO is having that unique opportunity to actually acquire invaluable information and insights, whether it be attendance in meetings or events or just a conversation with colleagues. They each、uh, provide a wealth of information that will benefit my country, Tonga. Having learned from different、uh, best practices by members who've done it better. In similar areas that、uh, we too actually face, valuable knowledge and expertise that I've actually acquired during my time is looking at the need to actually develop、uh, craft policies which will benefit the country for its resiliency. It's not just crafting the policies, but solutions, crafting solutions that will actually help us in addressing the different diverse challenges that we face as a small country. And trying to enhance and、um, allow us to participate effectively in international trade. Thank you so much, Estelina. I think this was a very eye-opening discussion for me. A lot of emotions involved, but at the same time, understanding and recognizing the importance of partnerships for addressing climate change and、uh, dealing with other issues that stand in the way of micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises、uh, exporting. But even then, learning to never give up. As、uh, businesses try to navigate, to use Esselina's word, this perfect storm of challenges. Thank you so much. Thank you, Minaro. Likewise. Thank you, guys.
In the next Overcoming Obstacles to Trade episode, we shift focus from mighty natural hazards to tiny bees that can wreak havoc in your backyard garden or even in agriculture more broadly. We will take you to Yak Farms in Zambia to hear how they've been able to tackle the infestation of the false cuddling moth, an insect that can be extremely damaging to food exports. Stay tuned to Let's Talk Trade to find out more.